I hope you were all encouraged last week at the launch of our Advent series, God With Us. I hope that you walked away encouraged as we reflected on the significance of the incarnation of God in Jesus and its implications on us for our salvation. It is good for us to carefully reflect on God's coming to be with us. This is the true meaning of Christmas. And it's so significant for us that it was recorded of the great John Wesley, the revivalist from the 18th century, on his deathbed. It was recorded that he lifted up his dying arm in token of victory and raising his feeble voice with every last bit of effort, cried out, the best of all is God with us. And then he died. Powerful last words, huh? So we're going to spend this month reflecting on these powerful words and their great reality for us. Last week, Pastor Brian led us in reflecting on the significance of the divinity of Jesus. The fact that Jesus is fully God. And today, we'll reflect on the infinite riches of that little life-altering preposition. With. God with us. When I first proposed this series to pastors Brian and Jeremy, I shared with them that we could start with the divinity of Jesus, then the withness of God. Brian was taking notes. He said, well, 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 what? The, 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 the whatness of what? I said, the withness of God. He said, my laptop will literally not allow me to write that word. We laughed. And even this past Friday, just two days ago, at our staff Christmas, our beloved Walt Bausch, our full-time custodian, at one point yelled out, Withness? What does that even mean? I get it. Now, ironically, Walt also pulled a mug at our gift exchange that read, Be careful. You may end up in my sermon. Literally. <laughs> so, Walt, there you go. Merry Christmas. We love you. That is real. <laughs> that was the gift he walked away with. You are a servant of servants, Walt. We love you. We thank you. Back to the matter at hand. I get it. It's not a common word, but it is a word. And it works. Withness refers to the state or quality of relationship. The withness of God is so qualitatively different and greater than any other withs to be found, we must examine it. And so my hope for us this morning is that we will see and embrace the fullness of Jesus who fulfills the role of that very preposition, God with us. Let me pray, and then what we're going to do is we're going to read a birth narrative of Jesus found in Matthew's Gospel, 
and I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward after I pray, and that's where we'll begin our study this morning. Lord Jesus, we come to you. Open the eyes of our heart this morning. Help us to see and behold marvelous things from your word. Help us to see and behold you. We need your spirit to enlighten us, Lord. Illuminate the eyes of our heart. Be with us as we read your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Ushers will be passing out Bibles. We'll have scripture up on the screen, but if you'd like to read along in hand, just put your hand up if you don't have a Bible with you, and our ushers will give you one. If you don't have your own Bible, please keep that. Take that home. That's a Christmas gift from us to you. Now, before we read in Matthew chapter 1, okay? Matthew chapter 1, before we read, I want you to understand how we are going to study this passage. Matthew is determined to tell us stories in these first few chapters, but then, of course, throughout the whole gospel, to tell us stories that reveal not only who Jesus was, but who he is presently. In this story, as we look to who Jesus is, we will also learn quite a bit about ourselves. And we know how this works. It is a common phenomenon that when we get to know others more closely, we also learn more about ourselves, right? We all experience that. When I met my wife and then eventually got married, I got to know her more and more, and in so doing, learned quite a bit more about myself. Maybe I'm not as much of a prince charming as I thought I was. Then we had two beautiful girls. Each one comes out packed with personality, distinct. They're so different. And as they grow up, we learn more and more about them. And at the same time, I learn all the more about myself. Maybe I'm not as patient and selfless as I thought I was. I had a pretty good view of myself several years ago. You know how this works, right? You don't have to be married with children. The closer you get to anybody, the more you learn about yourself. Likewise, we're going to look at Matthew's revelation of Jesus, and we're going to toggle between looking at him and looking at ourselves, him and us. And this is important for our study as we carefully consider the relationship between God and us. Let's read now. Matthew chapter 1, first two verses, uh, not in the chapter, of our passage, 18 and 19, the birth narrative of Jesus. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Okay. This is the account of the birth of Jesus Christ. For those who do not know, Christ is a title. It's the Greek equivalent of Messiah in Hebrew. 
meaning God's anointed one, and represents the one who will bring God's salvation to the world, God's king. You will notice that right from the start, this birth narrative, and you'll see all the more as we move on, this birth narrative is told from Joseph's perspective. This is different from Luke's gospel, which represents Mary's point of view. And I think it's relatable for us. Consider the reality of what's going on here. Mary and Joseph are in their hometown, Nazareth. There's like 500 people in this little town. This is small town life. Mary's about 14. Joseph's about 18. I know it's weird for us today, but not then. These were different times. They are betrothed. This means that they basically got legally married already. Engagement, betrothal, was as good as official back then. And marriage was mostly for parents. Still is today in many cultures, especially the farther east you go. This was probably arranged long before they could even have attractions. It was a formal legal contract established in public, the betrothal. Then after the engagement, what would happen would be the wife would wait up to one year before moving into the husband's home, all the while the husband is preparing, and then they would come together, dwell in the same residence, and consummate the marriage. Now, it's during this time period, during the year of engagement, that Mary comes to him. Hey, Joseph, can we talk? I'm pregnant by the Holy Spirit of God. Can you imagine? This is real. Small town, your wife, before you come together. What? Joseph is a mixed bag of emotion right now, as we would be. This is crazy. Yeah, right. God's spirit, you're nuts. That stinks. I loved you. How could you? I'm losing my mind. I need a glass of eggnog. Seriously, though, this is chaos. Nothing could be more shameful. But Joseph is also a good man. Of course he's not believing her, but he loves her too much to shame her. Jewish law even called up to death for sin of this nature, this kind of adultery. But at this point in Jewish history, he knows he can do it quietly and spare her life, so he'll just have to divorce her. There's no other option. This is tragic. Side note. This is the birth narrative 
of the Christ. Such scandal. Such chaos. How could a story like this ever be told of the Christ and actually be accepted? Unless it's a real account. Unless this really happened. A story like this would never be told and have credibility. Just some food for thought. This is not a white Christmas story with dancing reindeer and glittery lights. This is a dreadful story. Let's read on and see what happens next. Verses 20 through 25. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Joseph turns, took a visitation from an angel, but a change of heart for sure. He was committed to Mary now. Whatever he just saw and heard, led him to be utterly convinced that something extraordinary from God is happening among them. So let's examine this carefully. Look at verse 20. In the midst of this chaos, the Holy Spirit of God consists of new life in Mary. Hmm. Any other place in the Bible where we find the Holy Spirit of God creating new life in the midst of chaos? Anyone? Anyone? Genesis. The opening page of Scripture. In the creation narrative, we see darkness hovering over the earth, form darkness over the earth, formless and empty, and then life and light, beauty, and creation. New life when there was no life. Maybe there's a connection. Now in verse 21, Matthew makes it a point to hone in on the name and role of this baby. His name is Jesus. For or because he will save his people from their sins. This name, Jesus, is simply the English version of the Greek name Jesus, which is derived from the original Hebrew name Yeshua, meaning Yahweh is salvation, or Yahweh saves. Question to note at this point. Who's going to save his people? Yahweh? The God of Israel or Jesus, 
this baby, does Yahweh save or does Jesus, this baby, save? Verses 22 and 23. So the Savior's name is Jesus. And then Matthew links his name with this Old Testament prophecy in verses 22 and 23 of a baby who is called Emmanuel, meaning God with us. This is interesting because nowhere in the New Testament do we see Jesus referred to as Emmanuel, right? But everywhere, we see the meaning of this name revealed in Jesus. God with us. This prophecy here comes from Isaiah chapters 7 and 8. And what we have here is often called a double fulfillment or a near fulfillment, far fulfillment. Which means that there was likely, I believe, a a baby that fulfilled this prophecy in its original historical context, which I can't get into right now. You'll have to go back and read what's going on in Israel's history during, during Isaiah's time. In these chapters of Isaiah, chapters 7 and 8, there's a child savior theme that develops further into Isaiah 9 and all the way into through Isaiah 11 and 12, a fulfillment that points ahead. And this is exactly what Matthew sees fulfilled in this baby, Jesus the Savior child. Remember what the family, the hearts just read from Isaiah 9. The child shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Real names, real roles that are all fulfilled in this child. Jesus is all of these and the best of all, Is God with us? Charles Spurgeon, a renowned British pastor of the 19th century, known as the Prince of Preachers, he's one of the most fruitful, renowned preachers in all of church history, preached a sermon on the name Emmanuel, God with us. And in it he notes this short phrase, God with us, contains the whole history of redemption. He's right. It's that big. Now, remember what I said. When we look at Jesus in this passage, we learn more about ourselves. And it is then that we discover the significance of the witness of God. Let's review the revelation of Jesus that we just saw here again, but with ourselves in view. Verses 21 through 23. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Hmm. When we read that, we have to ask ourselves at least two questions. One, Am I his people? And two, do I need saving? For some of us, there's a third. 
What is sin? Do I need to be saved from this? And we read on. They shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. More questions to ask ourselves. Who's us? Is God with me? Is he already with me? Or are we separated right now? These questions are vital in understanding the significance of the birth of Jesus. God with us. Remember what Spurgeon said, all of redemptive history is contained in this name. Now, since Matthew 1 is not the beginning of redemptive history, we will have to go back to the genesis of his story in order to answer these questions. This is important. Scripture begins in Genesis 1 with the account of creation. And in it, God creates the heavens and the earth and all that is in it and declares it good, very good. The climax of his creation, man and woman are made in his image with blessing and purpose to live in harmony with God, to reflect God and represent Him throughout the earth, to be fruitful and multiply and advance His glory to the ends of the earth. The creation account is beautiful. God dwelling with His people in Eden, walking with them in the garden. They lived fully, freely, and in pure unity with God and one another. God's presence with his people was the fullness of life and satisfied all human longing, security, desire, identity, relationship, purpose. Do you long for things? Do humans long for things? Yes. Oh, yes. Are we restless for things? How did we get this way? Genesis goes on to inform us that Adam and Eve, God's precious people, sinned. This word simply means to fail, to miss the mark. What was the mark? What did they fail at? They failed to trust God and follow him. They failed to reflect him and represent him as they were created to. They failed to walk humbly with him in harmony. They did the one thing he asked them not to do. They failed. 
do you fail? Do you think humans fail at loving him supremely above all things and walking in harmony with him? If so, that's really bad news. It's really bad news. Because Genesis goes on to show that after Adam and Eve disobeyed God and chose to make decisions for themselves as they deem fit, chaos broke loose again. The beautiful tapestry of God's design began to unravel. Genesis 3 records that right after Adam and Eve rebel and eat from the forbidden tree, God is walking in the garden. They hear him and they hide from him. Their beloved creator, now an enemy. They're overwhelmed in fear and shame. And God calls out, What happened? Why are you hiding from me? Adam blames Eve. Eve blames the serpent. Relationship with God, broken. Relationship with each other, broken. Relationships with themselves, broken. Fear, shame, anger, blame fills them now. Separation, separation, separation. What a mess. Now let me ask you, when you look around the world today, do you think that we're a beautiful, harmonious tapestry? Or are we a mess? Unraveling by the day. Are there traces of beauty among us, but we're just too frayed and torn to even see what harmony could look like anymore? Let me ask you more pointedly. Do you ever feel like hiding from God? You ever feel shame, anger, not very harmonious? Is the Bible even relevant? The final scene in the garden is tragic. Exile, separation from God. His people have become too corrupt to dwell with him. He's too holy and good. God sends them out of the garden, seals off access to him with an angelic creature and a flaming sword. How terrifying. How sad. They were cursed. The earth was cursed. All that was formed and full began to unravel. And that began what is known as human history, which remains the same through today. Now we know where we came from and what our chief problem is. It's not the president. It's not our economy. It's not our schools. It's not global terrorism. 
Our chief problem is sin, brokenness of every kind, separation from God above all, from which we all unravel. We wither and perish in our corruption. That's what's wrong with us. It's dog eat dog to the death out there, and you know it. It's depressing. And if you were to walk out those doors right now, you would spend the rest of your days eroding from the inside out. This is a real tragedy. But the thing is, that's not where God's story ends, is it, Christians? That was the beginning. That's the cause of our brokenness. But God does not wind up the world like a clock and just let it sit there ticking away until it dies. Oh, no. Oh, no. We are His good creation. He's not going to let any snake or person or anything at all take from Him what is His. He loves what is His. So He promises His people, I'm coming for you. Salvation is coming. And as history unfolds, it becomes clear that God does not leave His people to perish, but pursues them. He wants to be with us. He's not content to see us rotting away in our failure and sin. He loves us. But sin is real. And it keeps us separated from Him. The whole story of the Old Testament is about God pursuing His people to be with them. But whenever He appears in the Old Testament, He is terrifying. A trembling mountain, lightning and thunder, a pillar of fire, smoke, a blinding light, always kept separate from his people in the wilderness, the tabernacle, the temple. Whenever God dwelt with his people, he was always behind a veil, in a closed-off room, separate. Too much for anyone to bear the sight. Not because he's evil, but because he's too good. He's too holy for us. Like the life-giving goodness of the Son. It's so good, but can't get too close. You'll burn up. That's how it was with the presence of God among His people. Can't get too close. Until, that is, He came in the form of of a baby. A baby. Gentle, vulnerable, accessible. Does a baby communicate anything other than come to me? 
love me, hold me. In the fullness of time, according to God's promise, he sent his son in the form of a baby to show us he's come to remove the barrier. There's nothing more to fear. I am here for good. God with us. And that is really good news. Really good news. That is why after the birth of Jesus, when the angel appeared to the shepherds in the field, in the field and they're struck with fear, the angel said, fear not. I bring you good news of great joy. Your Savior's been born. God is with us. No more hiding. No more separation. No more fear. Just come. All are welcome. Behold him. Receive him. Love him. God is with us. God alone can be terrifying. But God with us gives us hope and assurance. God sent his son Jesus to restore his presence with us which means that first and foremost, he came to deal with our sin. That barrier has got to go. That's why this baby is called Jesus and Emmanuel. Because salvation from sin means God with us. So, who are we? In all that, we're a bag of mixed nuts. Is that fair? Each one of us, our own bag, some good, some sweet, salty, bitter, rotten, that's us. Completely unable to renew ourselves. Who is Jesus? He is God in the flesh, who came to be with us and make us purely good. How do we know this? Because he gave his life for us on the cross. That's the proof. Jesus came to live the perfect life we should have lived in our place and died the death that we deserve in our place so that anyone who believes in him would have forgiveness of sin and reconciliation with God. New life. New life. With him, in him, he in us. That is why scripture notes that after his last breath on the cross, at the moment of his death, the veil in the temple that separated God's people from his presence was torn in two. Because God is with us for good. Who saves? Jesus or God? Yes. Yes, he does. God is with us. Amen? The witness of God 
means fullness of life restored, healing and wholeness, our inner selves renewed, relationships restored rightly, our longings satisfied once again, desire, security, identity, value, purpose, all satisfied in Him. There is no greater gift. There is no greater blessing. There is no other solution for humanity than God's presence restored to us. Jesus says, anyone who believes in me from their innermost being will flow rivers of living water. You believe in me? I will put my spirit within you and so fill you with life and light. You will overflow to those around you. Do you want that? Do you want that? Does that sound good to you? Like even the fewest drips of water in a parched desert? Not to mention a real everlasting fountain? That's who he is. If so, come to him. Believe, receive the witness of God, the fullness of life. Christians are streams of blessing in the world. He comes to be with us and then sends us to go be with others. We have to see that. Last point. As Christ brought God to us, so we bring Christ to others. Our purpose from Genesis 1 is renewed. Go now, Christ calls you. Advance my gospel of good news to all people. Spread my glory to the ends of the earth. Joy to the world. I will be with you always. The book ends of Matthew's gospel. God with us. Spurgeon closes. It is the laborer's strength. How could we preach the gospel? How could we bend our knees in prayer? How could the missionary go into foreign lands? How could the martyr stand at the stake? How could the confessor acknowledge his master? How could we labor if that one word were taken away? God with us. Is the sufferer's comfort, the balm to our woes, the alleviation of our misery. It is the sleep that God gives to his beloved, the rest after exertion and toil. God with us. Is eternity's sonnet, is heaven's hallelujah, is the shout of the glorified, is the song of the redeemed, is the chorus of angels, and is the everlasting oratorio of the great orchestra of the sky. God with us. God with us with us. Hallelujah. Merry Christmas. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you have come. Thank you that we now have the hope of renewed life, everlasting life. Thank you that we can be made whole again in you. Thank you, God, that you came to be with us. Fill us up with life and light. Send us out 
as your agents of peace and reconciliation in this world, streams of, of blessing, rivers of life in a parched and dry land, Lord. Send us out. You have made known to us the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy, and at your, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Thank you. Hallelujah. Draw us unto yourself. Draw us in. Send us out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.